Find two passages of Scripture in your Bible, Mark chapter 14 and Luke chapter, excuse me, John chapter 13. Mark 14, beginning in verse 43, and John 13, beginning in verse 21. We start a series today entitled, From the Cross to the Crown. We want to look at the events just prior to Jesus' crucifixion, then his victorious resurrection on Easter, but then we'll go beyond that to see the fact that he is alive today, ruling and reigning over all of creation, from the cross to the crown. So Mark 14 and John 13. We start this series with one of the most infamous moments in human history. The Son of God was betrayed into the hands of sinners by a mere mortal named Judas. Now it's been said of Judas that he had no choice but to betray Jesus. That God predestined him for it, Satan entered him to do it, and therefore he had no choice whatsoever. But scripture doesn't indicate that. John 6, 70, Jesus said, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He meant Judas, for he was going to betray him. John 13, Jesus told all the disciples, You are clean, but not all of you, for he knew the one who was betraying him. John 17, the high priestly prayer, Jesus said, I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but, or excuse me, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. There's not anything that I see in those verses that said Judas had to betray Jesus. He was no different than any other man, so we ask this question How could a man whom Jesus selected as a disciple, a man who saw signs and wonders, heard Jesus' extraordinary teaching, how could he not only become apostate, but become the one who betrayed the King of Kings unto death and then sent himself to hell? There's a writer named Joseph Stoll. He said Americans are driven by two things, affluence and personal peace. Now, I personally don't have anything against either, but here's what he pointed out. Life has a way of pushing us to the point of deciding whether or not the pursuit of cash and comfort will be more important to us than the pursuit of all that Christ wants us to do. When the desire for cash and comfort begins to eclipse our commitment to Jesus, we become just as vulnerable to betraying Jesus as Judas was. We become just as vulnerable to betraying Jesus as Judas was. That statement kind of sets our teeth on edge a little bit, doesn't it? Because in our mind, it's acceptable to say, I am sometimes like Thomas who doubted him. It's less acceptable to say, I am sometimes like Peter who denied him, but it is completely unacceptable to say, I am sometimes like Judas who betrayed him. We tend to think that's something we could not and would not do, but in John 13, Jesus directly told Judas he would betray him, and Judas still went out and did it. How is that possible? Well, let's find out as we read these verses on Jesus' first step to the cross, betrayal. Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 43. The Bible says, Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, 
came up accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priest and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Judas immediately went to him saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. And then over in John chapter uh, 31, beginning in verse 21. If I can find my place, there we go. John 13, verse 21, when Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, that was John. So Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. He, leaning back on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, after the morsel, Satan then entered into him. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. The betrayal. Number one, I want you to see the call that was accepted. Mark chapter 3 says Jesus appointed 12 disciples so they would be with him. And Judas was one of the 12. So let's start here. You and I can follow Jesus, but be on the road to betraying him even when you have a good reputation. The name Judas means confessor of Jehovah. So his parents' desire may have been that he glorify God with his life. And just as Jesus has said to you and me, he said to Judas, follow me, and Judas obeyed him. And the other disciples evidently trusted him. Matthew was a tax collector. You assume he had some kind of financial experience, but they made Judas the treasurer of the group. When you're looking for someone to handle money, you select someone with a good reputation. So you can follow Jesus and be on the road to betraying him when you have a good reputation, but you can follow Jesus and be on the road to betraying him even when you have ministry participation. Judas worked directly with the Lord Jesus Christ for three years. He was involved in the fellowship of the disciples. He was involved in the fellowship of the disciples. He worked, served, and went out with them in doing the work of the Lord Jesus. Luke chapter 9 is a remarkable passage. It says that Jesus gave the disciples power and authority over demons and disease and sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. So Judas cast out demons. He laid hands on people and they were healed. And on top of that, he was a gospel preacher. Don't look up here. Some of you either didn't get that or you believe it's true. The point here is this, you can participate in ministry that's still not necessarily a sign of spiritual health. So there was a call that was accepted, but there was also an opportunity that was given. Judas saw with human eyes the Son of God. 
He directly witnessed unprecedented miracles. 5,000 people being fed. A violent storm stopped in its track. A gathering demoniac set in his right mind. But more significantly than that, he heard the teaching of God in human flesh. Now, let me throw you a curve for just a minute. What we see sometimes, for example, I'm just going to use this as an example. What we see sometimes in the gospel accounts is not necessarily a direct quote. It's a synopsis of what was said. Now, don't misunderstand that. The words of the Bible are accurately transmitted by men and divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. So here's an example of what I mean. We have the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. More than likely... That's just a skeleton of that sermon. That's just what the Holy Spirit chose to transmit to us. Judas would have heard every single word. He would have heard that there's a narrow road that leads to life, that there's a broad road that leads to destruction. He also would have heard every word of the parable of the prodigal son. Therefore, he knew Jesus would forgive those who repent, that Jesus overflows with mercy and grace towards sinners. He heard with his own ears. He saw with his own eyes, and despite this, he betrayed him. On a side note, there is a great note of comfort here because some parents greatly lament over their lost and wayward children. They raise them in church and in the faith, and today there's no evidence of faith, and they say, well, where did we go wrong? Maybe we should have done this. Perhaps that was a mistake, and right now today, you condemn yourself. But this demonstrates that the best environment the most biblical teaching and the clearest embodiment of Jesus himself does not change the human heart. The opportunity that was given. Number three, the choices that were made. Judas eventually made one big decision to betray Jesus, but that was the sum total of many little decisions that led him down the road to betrayal. Little soft decisions they eventually add up, and they can lead you and I on the road to betrayal. Let me tell you two stories. One is a story I read about a single mom with an 11-year-old son. She told her pastor, the agony of my heart has been that God would bring a man into my life. A man who would bring me the comfort of companionship and the joy of intimacy. And for years, I have prayed, Lord, make it your man. I will not step away from my commitment to you, Lord Jesus, to make it happen. And then she began to cry. She said, recently though, Pastor, that commitment has faded away. And she said many men had come in and out of her life as though in her own words, she was a revolving door. The second story involves a high-level corporate executive. He managed a large geographic territory for a national cable company. He told his pastor, I have committed my life to serve Jesus without reservation, but every day that I work... Part of my job is having to purvey the filth from this cable company that does not honor Jesus 
And he wondered aloud if God would have him quit that job in order to honor his commitment as a Christ follower. Now, more on those stories later. But for now, my point is this. Satan doesn't come to us and kick open the door wearing red tights and two horns and say, here I am, follow me. He cracks the door open. He tempts us to peer in. We take one step at a time, and the next thing we know, we've fallen into his trap. Sin gradually dulls the conscience. You say, well, that's just a little sin. If you sin over and over again, your conscience just becomes incrementally and gradually dulled. And without repentance, we can come to the point where we are completely oblivious to sins that are obvious even to others. There's an old story about a man who ran a grocery store during World War II. The president was about to announce rationing, and an older woman came into his store. She loaded her basket full of sugar and other items that were about to be rationed. And so the cashier said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but you can't buy all these things. I, I can't let you do that. And she said, but I need to get them now before all the greedy hoarders get here. Here's good news. Satan cannot gain a foothold in the lives of people who are walking in the light of Jesus. But when there are gradual yet sinful compromises such as unchecked thoughts, unrestrained words, unguarded motivations, it can lead to significant conclusions. So this morning I want us to consider the danger of the inward cultivation of sin. Now, one theory about Judas is a very sympathetic one, and I think a very wrong one. It is that he thought that Jesus was going to be a military and political king, so by betraying Jesus, he would force Jesus' hand. In other words, it's time to get the show on the road, so by betraying him, it would make him speed up the process of confrontation with Rome and, and the chief priest and everyone else involved. I think there's a more likely reason. The Bible tells us Judas was a thief, that he was covetous, that he was full of greed. The old school term is avarice. Judas was the treasurer of the disciples. He held the purse strings. And John chapter 12 tells us he regularly stole from that purse. A thief is always looking to steal, and I suspect the cultivation of that sin is what led him to betray Jesus. So I want to attribute part of the next few minutes to a book I read about this very subject. And let's pretend that Judas is going to tell us his story in the first person. So this is Judas speaking. He said, I could never understand why Jesus didn't seem to care about funding our ministry. There was one day when a rich young ruler showed up and all he wanted to know, all he wanted to know was how to have eternal life. He was a moral man, he was a sincere man, and he could have given a great deal of money for our ministry and, of course, more money for me to skim off. I deserve some of that money and I'll explain that later. And of all things... Jesus told him, one thing you lack, sell all that you possess and distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Well, of course he walked away. 
Why was Jesus always so extreme? He could have softened that. He could have showed him a little bit of grace. I mean, the man wanted to have eternal life. Why not begin to cultivate him? He could have tactfully answered that question and encouraged him to give some to our ministry. I mean, and by the way, if the man sold anything, how could he give us, if he sold everything, how could he give us anything? I mean, it made no sense. Then we go with Jesus through Jericho. And out of the blue, he calls out a chief tax collector named Zacchaeus. A chief tax collector. This guy ran the whole racket for the whole area. And I hear this Zacchaeus say to Jesus, Behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and I have defrauded anyone of anything. I will give back four times as much. Here's someone who is willing to give, and there would be more for me to skim off, but Jesus affirmed him in giving up half of what he had to go to the poor. And then he said, today salvation has come to this house. You know, all he had to do, all he had to do was say, you know, you want to repent, okay? 25% to the poor, 25% to our ministry. But he was always so concerned about the poor, never about us. He was always so extreme. Even as he went about teaching, sometimes he would make it as hard as possible to follow him. It made no sense. You're going to save your life to lose it? Who's going to do that? And take up your cross? Why was he even talking about a Roman instrument of torture? What did that have to do with us? One time he even told a group, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, naturally many followed away. There was missed opportunity after missed opportunity. Our coffers could have been overflowing, but we were barely getting by. Jesus himself had nowhere to lay his head, and so there was little for me to take. And you know what? I deserve to take some. Here I am, the treasurer, trying to put together some kind of funds to fund our ministry. And at every opportunity, Jesus sent funds somewhere else. It seemed like I was the only guy in the whole group that realized his blunders. The last straw for me involved a woman named Mary. She took an entire pound of pure nard, per perfume, pure perfume. That's a whole year's wages for a common laborer. And she poured the whole thing over his head. A total waste of money. Another example of fanaticism. So I strongly objected, even though I will admit I was deceitful about it. I said, why wasn't this sold and given to the poor? I only said that because I knew it would resonate with Jesus, but my real motive was to have a little bit more to skim off. But do you know what Jesus actually said to her? He said, let her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. How could she keep it when she just wasted it? Look at John 13 for a moment. This is the Last Supper, the disciples observing the Passover. Jesus said that one of them would betray him. We find in Luke 22 that each of the disciples was grieved, saying, Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Judas didn't ask that. So look at verse 26 in John 13. 
Jesus said, the one who will betray me is the one to whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. He handed it to Jesus, and in verse 27, he said, what you do, do quickly. And Judas had so inwardly cultivated sin that even with that warning, he still betrayed Jesus. So that's the danger of the inward cultivation of sin. But there was also a stubborn refusal to repent. By the time Judas got to that Passover, he'd already decided to betray Jesus. Let's try that again. Judas had been to the chief priest, was offered 30 pieces of silver, which was not a big sum, and he took it. So he slinks into the upper room. I mean, betrayers have no integrity. Why not just directly confront Jesus? Instead, he wants to stab him in the back. But Jesus already knows this. And despite knowing this, he showers Judas with love. He loved him unconditionally for three years. And in that upper room, he knelt down in front of the disciples, including Judas, and he washed his feet. And then he included him in that last supper. But flip over to Mark chapter 14 for a moment. Mark 14, verse 45. This is in Gethsemane. This is the betrayal. Verse 45 there says, Judas immediately went to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. It was dark, so that was the predetermined way for the mob to identify Jesus. And verse 46 says, They laid hands on him and they seized him. The sinless son of God, betrayed by a man who stubbornly refused to repent. How could he betray someone who had done him no harm? How could he betray someone who had only loved him instead? Now, I don't know where you're at spiritually, but if you're tempted to betray Jesus, realize that no one has ever loved you like Jesus. No one. And let's not use, by the way, another term besides betrayal. When we knowingly think or act contrary to God's word, with intentionality, we betray him. Betrayal is disloyalty. And to betray him, we have to do it in the face of the greatest love ever known. And yet, not only did Jesus shower Judas with love, he warned him with words. In Matthew 26, I think this is the most sober warning he gave Judas. He said, woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Judas said, surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus said, you have said it. Even when Jesus said, Judas, I know what you're going to do, he does it anyway. He stubbornly refused to repent because he was sure certain that he was right in his betrayal. And that stubbornness in sin isn't all that different from you and me. I may be talking to someone this morning who is really walking down a path towards betrayal. 
And right now your thought is, I don't care what my spouse says. I don't care what you, Pastor Mike, say. I don't care what anyone says. And I'm going to turn a blind eye to what the Bible says because this is what I want. This is the direction I'm choosing. I am going to do it. And in a passage far too far beyond my understanding, the Bible finally says Satan entered Judas. Now here's what I do know. Give yourself away to sin. Satan will lead you away by the nose. James chapter 1, each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. And then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now having said all that, let's slam on the brakes and consider number four, the Savior who was betrayed. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus started his earthly ministry, and he went to Galilee to Nazareth, his hometown. Hometown boy making good, right? He preaches in the synagogue there, and they love him. They liked his exposition, and then he got to the application. He gave two examples of God responding to the faith of Gentiles, and they were furious. They drove him to the edge of a cliff to kill him. Get a mental picture of that. I mean, no joke intended here. Imagine every single one of you is so mad with me that you take me out at the end of church and you're ready to kill me. And somehow he eludes them in this mysterious and supernatural way. It gives us a picture of Jesus being calm and in total control. In John chapter 10, a hostile crowd is ready to stone him. Jesus calmly says, for which of my miracles are you going to stone me? Calm and in total control. And in John 18, Jesus is betrayed before a bloodthirsty mob. And his response is this. Have you come out to arrest me with swords and clubs? He's completely calm. But if you go back to Gethsemane, just before his betrayal, the Bible says he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. A few verses later, he said, My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. That word overwhelmed can be translated as overcome with sorrow so as to cause one's death. He was in such agony he could have died. There's no longer this calmness. And he is in this kind of a battle because in his humanity, he does not want to go to the cross. So he prayed this, Father, if you are willing, remove the cup from me, yet not my will but yours. Why did he pray that? Well, yes, he didn't want to go to the cross. But he doesn't want to drink what's in that cup. Now, what was in that cup? The Population Reference Bureau estimates as of 2019 that 108 billion humans have ever lived. I don't know if that's accurate, but let's take it for the sake of, for the sake of argument. 108 billion people. Take all of their lust, lies, and dishonesty. Slander, malice, and greed. Sexual assault, violence, injustice, murder, persecution, genocide, ethnic cleansing, and blasphemy. 
put it all in that cup and then realize that God poured out his righteous, holy anger and wrath on his own son as he drank that cup. The prideful provocation of 108 billion people toward a kind and gracious God. A God who has given humanity warning all throughout history. He warned humanity through a global flood, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, the stern warnings of his prophets, the destruction of Jerusalem twice, and the promise and the prophecy that there is coming a great and terrible day of the Lord, all of that ignored and even mocked by billions of people. All of that sin in one cup. That's why he didn't want to go to the cross. But Jesus drank it all to the dregs to die in your place and my place for our sin. Friends, there is no one who has ever loved you like Jesus. I told two stories earlier. The single mother who told her pastor that her life had become a revolving door of men. After she said that, she said, I am I'm so ashamed, I'm so ashamed. But then she said, tonight I have decided that the rest of the choices I make about the comfort and companion of someone in my life and every other choice will be a choice for Jesus and Jesus only. She took a U-turn on her road to betrayal. The man who was in a position of compromise daily caused by his very good job, he quit. And a friend said, well, I hope you make more money in your new job. I assume a headhunter found something for you. Where are you working now? He said, I have no idea. We don't have any idea what to do, but we do know that we cannot deny Jesus any longer. That's a U-turn on the road to betrayal. Sometimes that U-turn that you make in your life, it seems to the carnal like something only a fool would do. But Paul said, consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. The alternative is to get our way, presume on Jesus, continue on that road, and perhaps someday betray Jesus. When Judas left that final Passover, the Bible says he immediately went out and it was night. He went out into darkness and a short time later he hung himself and went out into eternal darkness. Hell is a place that's called outer darkness, but no one has to go there. So right now this morning I appeal to you, I appeal to anyone watching online. If you do not believe in the Lord Jesus, you can believe today. Do you sense the Lord calling you to get up and out of your sins? Then this is the time he is speaking to you and drawing you to himself. What do you have to do to believe? You believe. It's not something that's just in your head that's a head knowledge. It's also a heart knowledge. You, it's been put in so many different ways. You give your life to Jesus. You trust him as your Lord and Savior. And there's no magic words for you to say in order to do that. You simply believe. Sometimes you, you pray. 
It's not a formulaic pray, but prayer, but if you're sincere about that, just say, Jesus, I, I don't understand much of this, but I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm headed to hell. I know you're full of grace and mercy and forgiveness. And right now I want to become a Christian. Simple as that. You just believe. And if you want to believe or you have, or you have believed for the first time or you have questions, listen, we're here. that's what we're here for. Myself, Nathan, Kirk, or you can talk to someone around you. Please do that because we want to help you get started in the Christian life. And the first act of obedience in the Christian life is being baptized. So you can talk to us about that. And it could be that you've been visiting for a time and the Lord has led you to become part of this church as a member. So would you talk to us about that as well? I thank you for your patience as we listen to what really is a tough sermon. But it was Jesus, one of his first steps on the road to the cross, and that is the betrayal by a human being betraying the Son of God who died on the cross for us. I want to say this one more time, and then we're going to pray. No one has ever loved you like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you that that statement is true. Your love is so far beyond our human comprehension, but what we can understand the word amazing doesn't do it justice. I, I don't have a word in my vocabulary. It's supernatural. It's gracious. It's kind. It's loving. And I pray for perhaps there's a person here this morning who hears everything that's being said but still says, yes, but I did this back here. I'm not sure that I can be forgiven, or I, I still have a guilty conscience. Father, I pray this morning that if there's anyone who has never been saved, that there's no one who is inhibited from coming to you because of the past. And Lord Jesus, I know when I came to you, one of the first thoughts that I had before I got saved was, well, I need to clean my life up and then I get saved. Lord Jesus, would you put in the heart of any person who does not know you that that is the other way around? We come to you and you begin to clean our life up. And thank you that you do it on the basis of grace. Thank you for this cautionary tale that we learn about Judas. I pray that every one of us would be duly instructed and warned. And at the same time, we would recognize that no one ever loved us like you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for that love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our time together this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.